0: Go ahead and take your Bibles, I hope you have your Bible near you, and turn to Philippians chapter 3. That's our passage today. We're kind of going to try to cover most of that chapter in today's message, Philippians chapter 3. Here's the key concept this morning. Run the race to win the prize. In our passage today, we're going to see Paul using imagery of a race, and he's connecting that imagery to the Christian life, the life that we live for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of a story uh, told by Leif Anderson, the former head of the National Association of Evangelicals. He tells the story of a unique bicycle race in India. The object of the race was to go the shortest distance possible on the bicycle as you balance for a specified period of time. It really wasn't a race at all. It was more a challenge to see who could balance on the bicycle, and the competitors were disqualified when they put their foot down. And, and after the, 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 uh, the period of time has passed, the person who has gone the farthest is the loser. Now imagine with me that you entered that race and you didn't know the rules. And the cyclists line up, and the gun goes off, and you take off like a shot, pedaling down the highway. And soon you're sweating, and you're out of breath, but you're rejoicing at how far ahead you are from everybody else. You think to yourself, this is fantastic. I'm crushing this race. I'm sure to be the winner. But in reality, you're the loser, because you didn't understand the rules. Well, just like in that race, there are rules in the race of the righteous life that we are called to and one of the rules is that it's not all about rules it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ this is the point that Paul will make here in Philippians chapter 3 so you follow along as I read starting in verse 1 of chapter 3 Paul says this finally my brothers rejoice in the Lord it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who, who, who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Paul talks about his past. And as he summarizes his spiritual past, he does so with a specific intention to warn the Philippians away from the influence of people that we have come to call the Judaizers. The Judaizers, Paul calls them in other passages, the party of the circumcision. They are enemies from Paul's past, but they continue to be a problem in his present. In the book of Galatians, which was written before Philippians, he warns against the same group, the same teachers, and the basic point of their teaching was this. As the gospel message went into Gentile territories, they taught that Gentiles need to become Jews first, and only then can they become Christians. Specifically, they wanted the male converts to to get circumcised like the Jewish males, But it also uh, entailed insisting on a lot of Jewish ritual and celebration as well. And it amounts to an external, legalistic approach to faith. It is a Christ plus version of salvation. They might say something like this Sure, you have to believe, but then there's all the rest of the stuff that you have to do in order to truly be saved. You have to earn your merit. So it's Christ plus ritual. It's Christ plus ceremony. It's Christ plus religious activities. Christ plus rules. But Paul understands that a Christ plus gospel is no gospel at all. It must be Christ alone, salvation by grace through faith alone. That's the gospel. That's the good news of salvation. And the issue of Christ plus Jewish ritual, was an issue right from the very start. Like I said, the moment that the gospel crossed into Gentile territory, this became a point of controversy. But it is a controversy that has already been dealt with. Back in the Jerusalem Council that's recorded in Acts chapter 15, James, the half-brother of Jesus, speaks for the decision of that very first council of the church when he says in Acts fifteen nineteen. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. But it seems that some false teachers were not deterred. They wouldn't listen to the decision of those church leaders. And all through his career, Paul is hounded by this issue. And so he's denouncing once again these who would add on works to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But listen to once again to how he introduces this topic as he transitions to this focus. Chapter three, verse one. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things again to you. It is a safeguard for you. Now, the word finally there doesn't mean that Paul is coming to an end of the letter. It's kind of like a pastor who says, in conclusion, and then continues on for the next 20 minutes. We all know that, what that's like. Well, Paul isn't using the word finally as an in conclusion. In fact, that word, that transitional word shows up again and again in his letter and letters, and he uses it as a transition in thought. It's kind of the way we would say, anyway, he's saying, anyway rejoice in the Lord now he's about to warn them against the legalists that who would would trap them in false understanding but he stops and he reminds them to rejoice why does he do that first he does it for this reason Jesus saturated joy will kill off a legalistic mindset I'll say that again Jesus-saturated joy will kill off a legalistic mindset. If we would truly be joyful about all that we have in Jesus Christ, all the satisfaction, all the hope, all the forgiveness, all the freedom, we cannot have a rules-based religion. A rules-based religion seeks to find satisfaction in myself, in how well I am doing legalism places your joy on your own accomplishments but the joy of the true Christian rests on us because of what Christ has done what he has done for me and is doing in and through me Paul says in verse 1 it's not a bother for me to write this to you again in other words He gives us a clue there that he's already written to the Philippian Christians, uh, a a writing that we don't have. It's not been preserved for us. But in this other correspondence, he's basically said the same thing. It's so vital that they understand that that he's repeating himself. Let me start by encouraging you to joy, but then quickly move on to fight against those who would trap them in legalism. Verse 2, watch out for those dogs. Those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Please understand that the ancient Jews did not keep dogs as house pets. We're not to to picture up some cute and cuddly man's best friend image when he calls them dogs. There is some mention of dogs in Scripture, but usually they're dogs that are are watchdogs and and, uh, uh, barking uh, to to, um, guard Guard the situation or guard the house, but mostly in this culture, in this day, dogs were wild. They were roaming the streets in a semi wild state. They were scavengers feeding off the refuge. They were filthy and unkempt, and they came to become a term for a morally filthy person. That's the image that Paul uses when he calls them dogs. I mean, think about it yourself. How do you feel when you encounter a vicious dog? off the leash, all by himself, snarling at you. If you're like me, your heart rate goes up, you're on high alert, and you you try to avoid that dog at all costs. That is how they are meant to feel when they encounter these false teachers, as Paul calls them dogs. But he goes on. He heaps on insults. He says they are evildoers, They say that they're prompted by the Torah, but it's a twisted idea of what God really wants. They distort God's saying uh, and God's scriptures to kind of mean what they want it to mean. And he goes on to say they are mutilators of the flesh. You see, what they're advocating is not true circumcision. It's not truly a sign of the covenant relationship with God. Now... Post-Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, that happens in the hearts of those who believe, male and female. That's why Paul in verse 3 says, we are the circumcision. We are the ones who have the true symbol of the covenant. And it's not an outward thing. It's an inner change of the heart that happens by faith. The best that these men can accomplish, Paul is saying, is mutilation of the flesh. And then... As he moves on to verse 4 through verse 6, Paul essentially says this. The reason that I can identify them is because once I was one of them. I was once one of these rules-based persons, very legalistic in my thinking. Let's read about it. He says this in verse 4. If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. "...circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless." In other words, he's saying, if this is the way you earned credit with God, I would have the credit. If this is the way you earned merit, I would have the merit. But I know that these outside, outward rules are meaningless." You see, God and Jesus did a new thing. And all of that which I used to depend on and used to go to, I know that is nothing and it's worthless. It's all of the past. And I don't want to be stuck in the past. One author writes this. God has created us to live in a specific moment in time that we call the present The present circumstances flow from past choices and set the stage for the future options. But in reality, the only place in time where we can choose is in the present moment. The circumcision party, the Judaizers, will not let go of the past, even though in the present moment God was doing a new thing and they're missing it. But Paul recognizes that he wants to be where God is working to do what God is doing Let's read on in verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Looking back, we realize that being born a Jew, studying the Torah, even being a Pharisee and an expert in scriptures, these things are not bad in and of themselves, but in Christ they have all been superseded. It was to his prophet to some point he's saying, but now God is taking me onward and forward, to a new level of relationship, a relationship of love with Jesus. You see, 25 years before the writing of this letter, Paul had a radical experience with the risen Christ. And Paul came to understand that the hope of the world and the hope of salvation was found in Christ alone. And Paul was transformed by that awareness and the power of that transformation put on hold all the old things as he was claiming the new. In fact, he calls that old way of life rubbish. It's all garbage. It's all worthless in his sight. It's an extreme kind of uh, language because he wants to see the, the contrast that is extreme. What we have now in Christ, he's saying, as opposed to rubbish is new righteousness and new knowledge. Verse 9 talks about the righteousness. A righteousness, not not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law, but which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God. Righteousness no longer self-earned, but a righteousness placed on us because of Jesus Christ. What Paul has now is a new righteousness. It comes from God himself. He picks up this exact same theme in Romans chapter 1, verse 17 says this, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. You see, formerly, everything that he called righteousness was self-righteous, but now he has a righteousness given by God. Now, what he means by righteousness in this passage is this. He means a right standing before God, which breeds a right way of living in God's sight. A new life come from Jesus himself. Paul is saying, I want that. I want to be found in him. I don't want to depend on my own effort, on my own skill in keeping the law. I know that I can't do it. I can't perfectly live that way. And I want to stand before Jesus one day knowing that what he will see in me will be his own perfect righteousness placed on me because of his work on the cross and my faith in what he has accomplished. His righteousness in me. But not only a new righteousness, Paul says, I have a new knowledge. Go to verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I have a new knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not a book knowledge. It's not an academic knowledge. The knowledge that I have of Jesus Christ is now an experiential knowledge, and I I, I experience his glories, and I experience his sufferings as I live for him. It is an intimate knowledge, and one day it will lead me to the resurrection. Now, the word somehow, when it says somehow to attain to the resurrection, it doesn't mean that he doubts that he'll get there. It means that through all of this, the resurrection is coming. And so Paul hints about the future. He sees the race is taking him somewhere, and he gets to that in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, there's a prize ahead. I'm pressing on to win the prize. Here, that imagery of the race comes uh, into, into focus. The race is going somewhere. The race is heading towards a prize. And the prize that he has in mind is not getting salvation. He already has that because of his faith in Christ. The prize is the culmination of his salvation. It is the fulfilling of the purpose for which he has saved. And some of that purpose is fulfilled in this life as he serves his Savior and his God. And some of that purpose will be fulfilled in the life to come. It'll happen in eternity. Paul is saying, now I want to play my part in what God is doing in the world. I want to be involved. I want to know what he's he's up to and be a part of that great cause. But then, eventually, it will be glory. And this is why Jesus came, why he died on the cross and why he rose again. And he is the example of the resurrection that one day Paul knows he and we who believe in Christ will experience. The race is worth the running. Now, Paul talks about his frame of mind, however, as he's running the race. And the first thing we see is he's dissatisfied with where he is at this point in the race. He says, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect Paul says I'm not where I want to be I'm not maybe where I need to be I haven't attained the full purpose or the prize of my salvation and I'm not satisfied and it's an indicator to us that neither should we who know Christ as Savior ever be satisfied or, or ever fall into a spiritual complacency God is not through with you he's never through There's always more, so press on. It's easy to fall into a complacent kind of thinking that says that faith in Jesus Christ is just one more box that I check in my life as I kind of go through my days, you know? Kind of like a checklist of life. Let's see, graduate from high school, check. Maybe go to college or get a job, check. Buy a big screen TV, check. Get married, check. Have faith in Jesus, check go to tahoe for a vacation check and you look at the checklist and you say isn't my life filling out nicely look at all these check marks that i have but the problem is you've categorized that which is eternal alongside that which is temporal you say well jesus is on the list yeah but he shouldn't just be one thing on the list because it's always worth pursuing it's always worth pressing on he supersedes the list He is your life, the life in Christ. You are not properly balancing the importance of things because the race goes on. Paul says, I press on. I'm not satisfied with where I am. But he goes on to say, I'm determined for a better future. The end of verse 13, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize. Now, it's interesting how the Bible uses the word forget. We need to get clear on this because sometimes I think we misunderstand. When the Bible says that like this, forgetting what is behind or where God says in Jeremiah or in the book of Hebrews, I will remember no more. I will remember their sins no more. It's not, to, it's not saying that this is something that escapes my mind, escapes my memory. I fail to remember. Like, I don't know, I forgot where I placed my car keys. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that an omniscient being all of a sudden develops the inability to remember things. No, When it says forgetting what is behind, he means no longer being influenced by what is behind. I'm no longer influenced by that which is in my past. The power of my past has been broken because of Jesus. I'm no longer chained there. I'm no longer bound there. I don't carry the regrets of the past with me as an influencer in my life anymore because I'm free in Jesus Christ. Do you think Paul has regrets? Well, I think so. He was there giving approval to the stoning of Stephen, very first Christian martyr. He was there leading the charge against the church as a legalist, as a Pharisee, ripping them out of their homes and their businesses, putting them in jail. But those memories of the past are chains that will only drag him down if he lets them. Your past does not have to drag you down. Like Paul, press forward. He's not allowing the tape of those memories to influence who he is today and what he does today. How do you get to that place where you can say, forgetting what is behind, I press on? Here's how you do it. You fill your mind and your heart with the new things that God is doing in your life. The new understanding that God is giving you in his word the new work that you're experiencing as you walk with the Spirit. Fill your mind with the new, and you'll turn away from the past. Now, for many of us, we know that that's true. And we know it's true because we've come through periods of loss and grief. You know that there was a moment, if, as you think back, when you experienced loss and you said to yourself, you know, I'm never going to get over this. I'm never going to be rid of this. I'm never going to be able to move past this, whatever this is. Maybe it's loss of a loved one, or maybe it's a loss of a relationship, or loss of a job. But over time, what you've done is you've wisely begun to, to fill your mind with other things, the good and godly things that the Lord puts in the pathway of your race so that you can press forward and you find over time that the sting of that loss or the sting of that grief is lessened. The influence fades. It no longer has power over you because you're pressing on. That's what Paul is doing. Not so much because of grief maybe, but because of guilt. I'm sure he carries guilt. The guilt could have immobilized him if he would let it, but he's thinking forward. He's thinking about the moment that he lives. What is God doing right now in my life? And what will he do for me and through me tomorrow so I can press on? To break the chains of the past, fill your minds with the present, and press on to claim your future in Jesus Christ. That's just what Paul does in the latter portions of this chapter, the third chapter of Philippians. Go over to verse 20. And here he has us look forward. He says this about our destination and his destination. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Our destination is coming. The race is coming is going somewhere. It's taking us somewhere. This race that we are in is taking us home, to our real home, to the place where our citizenship truly is. Remember that word, citizenship, is important in Philippi. The residents of Philippi were citizens of the Roman Empire simply because their city was considered a colony, and they were very proud of that. They recognized that that connected them to everything that seemed to be influential and respected and important in the day in which they lived. But Paul is saying, you know what, that's got to be part of your past as well. That's got to be something that you're racing away from because you have a new country You have a new citizenship, a new home. And it is from that new home country that Jesus is coming one day. And when he comes, he will provide for us yet another element of transformation. This body that suffers so much, that struggles so much, this body will be transformed to be like his eternal body. That's coming. That's the destination to which I run. Paul is saying, I've been transformed. I'm no longer a legalist. I am being transformed as I run the race and I press on. And I will one day be ultimately transformed as I have a resurrected body like Christ's. And all of this is for all of us who are running the race, the Christian life connected to Christ. I wonder. I wonder if you're in the race. I wonder if this is your story, if you know Christ as Savior and have received forgiveness and love. You see, you enter this race by being born again into the family of God. God loves you and he wants to be a part of your life, but all of us start separated from that love without a connection to God. And that which separates us is not God, it's our own sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where we all start. That's where we all begin. And that sin deserves punishment. And that's the reason that Jesus went to the cross, because he took that punishment on himself. And now, to all of us who are willing, he offers the forgiveness that he earned for us on that cross as a gift, if you'll take it. Because the grave couldn't hold hold him and he is living today. The gift comes. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin, that's the result, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. When you accept that gift, you start this relationship with Christ and you start to run the race of faith. You are part of what God is doing in the world and you are promised eternity with him. It all comes as you turn to him in repentance and faith. And maybe some of you who are watching this webcast today have never done that. And if you've never done that, you know you haven't and you know you need to do it. Because it is the Holy Spirit right now who's prompting you to say, that's what I need. It's a faith that happens on the inside and it's expressed in a prayer, a prayer of commitment turning to Christ I'd like to help you do that this morning if that's what you need and so I'm going to ask all of us who are watching this webcast to bow our heads and close our eyes and for a few of you I'm going to put into words maybe what you would like to express to God right now so let's pray and if this morning you know that you need to say yes to the forgiveness of Jesus pray a prayer something like this Lord Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness. I pray that you make me your child. I believe you died on the cross and you rose again. And you earned salvation for me. Give me that gift of hope. I trust you today. And Lord, I don't know how many people are making that decision or praying that prayer this morning. But I know that it is your desire and your will that everyone would say yes to that, because in that we find salvation and hope, and it's a gift of love. So I pray that there will be those who are saying yes to that gift of love. And many of us watching this broadcast today have already said yes to that gift, and we're in the race. Help us to run it well. Help us to say yes uh, to righteousness that you want to accomplish in our lives. Help us to take advantage of the opportunities of witness and the chance to live for you. And Lord, we pray that as we grow in your grace, we understand you more and more and you influence our lives to do your will. Thank you in advance for that. Lord, we love you and we want to run the race to win the prize. Help us do that along with the Apostle Paul, Lord. We declare that to be our desire. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning uh, to accept Christ as your Savior, I would like to encourage you by sending you this little booklet. It's called, Now What? Living Out Your Christian Faith. It's just some principles about how to live for Jesus Christ and to move forward in this walk of faith. And if you'd like to get that booklet, I need to have your contact information. And the way that we do that is this. If you would text the word faith to 209-257-8768 we will respond to you with a text asking for your contact information your mailing address and once we get that i'll be able to send this booklet to you so that you can get going on this journey with jesus go ahead and do that we would love to receive that text from you today and we'll get started well now we're going to have a closing song so let's worship together
1: soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake, to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let
0: This morning, we've been talking about running the race. And so in closing, I'd like you to hear these words from the prophet Isaiah. He says this, Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. God bless you as you seek to live for Him this week. Thanks for being with us, and we'll see you again next Sunday.